This is Intelligent Rebellion. Hey folks, welcome to this final episode of season two of the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. Today, I am going solo and I'm going to be talking about something that my mom and dad and your parents and everybody's adults tells you never to really talk about in public, which is religion. So today I'm going to be talking about religion and healthcare. Now look, as a Filipino person, religion played a really big part in both my traditions and my identity. I grew up in a household where only my mom would be what I would call or describe as religious. And my dad was, well, he didn't really subscribe. And I only ever really, I only ever really saw my dad in a church on the special occasions such as baptisms and first communions, confirmations, weddings and funerals and such. Now, as a youngster, my mom would take my younger brother, PJ, and I to the church on Sundays, but not every Sunday. Uh, She never forced my siblings and I to go, though my younger brother and I always chose to tag along anyway. And we would sit usually in this kid's room, which was towards the back of the church in its own little soundproof booth. And when PJ was a toddler, it just allowed him some freedom to run around with all the other toddlers rather than trying to get him to sit still on those hard wooden pews. Now, the church that I went to had an enormous congregation. And if you arrived within like 10 minutes of the mass starting, it was standing room only. Now, as at the mass, we would sing and respond to questions and recite all the necessary phrases. And on cue, we would stand and we would sit and we'd kneel and we'd hold hands and all at the appropriate times. I never really questioned why I was there and it was just what I did. And I did it with my mom and and my brother. Though, yes, yes, it was very boring a lot of the time. Though being in the toddler room did elevate the entertainment factor somewhat because you get to watch the kids playing and you're just waiting you're just waiting for the moment that any one of them was going to absolutely crack it and now after I graduated from primary school I went to a Catholic high school like most of my Filipino friends and this only really served to reinforce these religious teachings and these upbringings at some stage in a Catholic high school you actually start to choose your identity when it comes to religion especially in a religious Catholic high school and you ask yourself how religious are you on a scale and that scale was are you super churchy kind of churchy or not churchy at all and I would probably put myself somewhat on the fence of super churchy and kind of churchy Look, I wrote my year 10 essay on the Big Bang Theory, which looking back was probably the beginnings of my intelligent rebellion. But it was also in high school that I fell in love with science and I merely started to entertain the concept of religion and also because it was a required subject in a Catholic high school. Now, my friends who were from more, let's say, super religious families and were proper churchies went to church with their families and their entire families, but it was only something that I really did with my mom and my brother. And because my 
some of my best friends went to church with their families, it really became a big part of my social teenage years. And it was one of these friends that actually invited me along to the church's youth group, which was called Antioch. Now, I saw Antioch as being extremely open to me, and I felt like I was being accepted into this instant friendship group. You know, the process was then formalized into what they called a recruitment weekend. And now that I kind of say that out loud, it sounds a little bit um, like cultish or yeah, a bit cult. let's go with cultish. And this recruitment weekend was fucking full on. There was lots of music and singing and dancing and people being really happy and really warm and really accepting. Now, I'm a hugger, so there were just a lot of hugs being given and that was really okay with me. And most of the time was also spent listening to these presentations from current or existing members of Antioch, but they called these presentations talks. And these talks would be a member sharing their a personal experience or a story on a very specific topic, such as faith or feelings and forgiveness. And during the talk, they would also intertwine like a scripture reading or a parable, which relates back to their experience and to the topic. Now, during my time at Antioch, I actually did two of these talks and one was about healing and the other was about communication. And I remember as I was writing and drafting my talks, um, they were then to be workshopped by uh, someone in the seniority Antioch realm. And one of my first talks was actually workshopped by a good friend of mine who was a senior member of Antioch at the time. And the other talk that I did was workshopped by a priest. And so these talks would last 20 to 30 minutes, whatever it was. And then after every talk, you would break into these small groups of about three or four people, and they would call these groups share groups. And the, the point of the share group was to answer some very pointed questions relating specifically back to the talk and then about your own personal experience. Now, this recruitment weekend by design instigated a deep and meaningful conversation uh, with some very specific people. And then with that shared experience and all that hugging and sharing and deep and meaningfuls, you would then develop these very deep friendships. You know, I felt like Antioch was a very safe space for me and and a, a space for me to be able to open up. And I really enjoyed my time at Antioch. You know, apart from my school friends and some of my work friends, Antioch was my other core friendship group. And it gave me a very deep, strong sense of belonging. To this day, some of my best friends were from Antioch or are Antiochers. And one of them, though, Shout out to Luke, who is a truly talented musician, and he is someone that taught me how to play guitar during our time in Antioch. And then we sort of played guitar together in the church's youth choir. Now, look, 
My current shithouse guitar skills are not at all a reflection of Luke's amazing teaching abilities. It's me. I'm just a really bad student and I never practiced and I gave up far too easily. And in all of that, this might be a very good thing that I am a shit guitar player because I'm married to an absolutely brilliant guitarist and one of those in our family is more than enough. Look, as a result of my somewhat acceptable guitar playing skills and the affiliation with Antioch, I spent my Sunday nights at 6 p.m. Mass and at the Antioch meetings, which would follow the Mass. And so just like the recruitment weekend, we sang and we danced and we listened to talks and reflected and prayed and just generally had a lot of fun and ate a lot of popcorn chicken. Actually, side note, popcorn chicken actually came out during my time as an Antiocher and it was my very first experience of popcorn chicken was with some Antioch friends. Though as the years went on and my world started to expand beyond high school and into university, I started to very consciously and very much question the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. And what I saw to be inconsistencies in their teachings or contradictions to their teachings. Here's an example. The church preached love and inclusion, though they seem to be unaccepting of people from the LGBTQI community. And the questions I had about religion actually led me to stop engaging with the church. It stopped me from practicing religion, although it didn't stop me from having a sense of spirituality and faith. And also, it didn't stop me from associating a tradition to the church as a Filipino. Look, I have some great friends who I would describe as super churchies and are super religious. And together we have compassionate discussions about the church's teachings and about life in general. And although I don't agree with them about religion and they don't agree with me about atheism we're still really cool awesome friends and probably better friends because we've come to realize that our friendship was based on a fundamental ideology of kindness and respect love and loyalty and not because we attended 6 p.m mass together and ate popcorn chicken outside the church in the car park And so from that background of my somewhat semi-religious upbringing, dancing and singing and playing guitar in church, this episode of the podcast, I wanted to explore how religious beliefs or atheism might impact healthcare practice. I've never really thought about it until most recently when I was trying to decode people's choices around the pandemic. And religious beliefs just happen to be one of those things that people really took into account when making decisions about their healthcare during a pandemic. I was also reading decisions about abortion laws around the world and closer to home here in Australia about the Religious Freedom Bill. I became quite curious and intrigued if there was a place for religion in healthcare and if religious beliefs influence our practice as healthcare providers, or on the flip side, could our practice be guided by religion and religious teachings? 
those questions I am going to leave to those philosophy people to debate. And for today, I'm going to talk about religion and healthcare from my very own personal perspective. So a good place to start is being a patient. So my personal healthcare decisions about my own health are based on a number of things. And in no particular order, these are my profession as a healthcare provider, uh, professional and scientific consensus about medical interventions, my own personal ethical framework, and my own experiences and biases. As a healthcare professional, I also take account these things when I'm making decisions. But obviously, as a professional treating other human beings, I also have to place a lot of consideration on my patients and my clients, as well as the regulatory frameworks in which my services and I operate. I like to believe, though, that my semi-religious upbringing has had a positive impact on my work. In that I think, well, I like to think that I am very culturally sensitive to those who believe in God or a higher power and that God or higher power does have a plan for them and that their current situation of illness, disease or injury is being managed by said God or higher power. The oldest scientists and thought leaders widely accept that religion and spirituality is amongst one of the most important cultural factors that give structure and meaning to behaviors and systems and experiences. In 2001, there was a Mayo Clinic review which concluded most patients have a spiritual life and regard their spiritual health and physical health as equally important. And furthermore, people may have a greater spiritual need during illness. In researching this episode, I found that there are an estimated 10,000, yes, 10,000 distinct religions worldwide. So there must be many, many more. And we are, as a society, familiar with events in which people use religious teachings and interpretations to cause harm to others. Though healthcare have really deep roots in religion and throughout history it has been religious institutions who would usually care for the sick. In fact the Roman Catholic Church is the largest non-government provider of healthcare services in the world. They have 18,000 clinics and 16,000 homes for the elderly and for those with special needs as well as about 5,500 hospitals and 65% of which of these are located in developing countries. The Church's Pontifical Council for Pastoral Assistance to Healthcare Workers has estimated that the Catholic Church manages more than one quarter, that's 25% of the world's healthcare facilities. So here are some more questions coming out of my brain. If a hospital or a healthcare facility is operated by a religious institution, how do they then balance the patient's needs for healthcare with the teachings of their religion? Here's another question. If the healthcare provider's religious teaching opposes, say, contraception or abortion, then into what moral code or scope of practice does that individual healthcare provider subscribe? Oh, wait, I have more questions. How do the religious beliefs impact an individual healthcare provider's clinical decision-making 
if say a patient presents to them wanting a prescription for a contraceptive device or a pill or request to have an abortion. And, and one more question. Does the religious, moral ethics and beliefs of an individual healthcare provider, which are fundamental to their own personal morals, give them the right to refuse medical treatment to a patient? That was a question that was being debated and discussed recently here in Australia. The Australian Medical Association has a position statement which is dated 2019 relating to conscientious objection. Now the preamble begins with 1.1. Doctors or medical practitioners are entitled to have their own personal beliefs and values as are all members of the community. 1.2. A conscientious objection occurs when a doctor as a result of a conflict with his or her own personal beliefs or values, refuses to provide or participate in a legal, legitimate treatment or procedure which would be deemed medically appropriate in the circumstances under professional standards. Here's my two cents on the matter. As a healthcare professional, my patients place trust in me, not only in my technical abilities and skills, but also in my decision-making, integrity, and in my judgment. Healthcare professionals are held to a higher standard. I see it as my duty, despite my own personal beliefs, to provide my patients and clients with as much information which I am able to provide and which is available to make a sound decision about their own healthcare. And if me, Rhea, is unwilling or unable to provide the healthcare which my patient seeks, or by consensus is the most appropriate for their situation, or the one which they choose to engage or to have, then I must, I must refer them to somebody else. I really believe that ultimately as a healthcare provider, our job is to educate, empower and guide our patients to make an informed, valid and conscious decision about their own healthcare. As much as we like to believe that healthcare is about prescription and telling, it is more about education and consent. It's about providing the patient with all the information which they seek or which is necessary for them to make a decision. It's about educating them about potential risks, consequences, pros, cons to any decision which they want to make about their healthcare. On the daily, healthcare providers make some really fucking hard decisions about patient care. We're tasked with offering advice and information and for solving problems and having fixes. And yes, We do try to persuade a patient into accepting and choosing a medical intervention or a healthcare procedure, which we think is the best course of action for them. Though here's the thing, we must acknowledge that our personal beliefs can stem from our own religious or our cultural beliefs, our environment, our experiences, our skills and our abilities, and this is going to influence our decision making. Our personal beliefs will influence the way we interact with our patients and our medical decisions will always be biased. Where we need to focus 
And where we need to put our energy is on being mindful about our biases, knowing and understanding what is our belief system? How did we shape those beliefs? And how are those beliefs affecting the lives of others and the lives of our patients and those around us? If we become better at processing our own bias and understanding our own decision-making processes, then we will become better healthcare professionals. Religion and healthcare will never be separated. Actually, actually, more accurately, humans and healthcare will never be separated. One of the earliest signs of human civilization was our ability to heal. There is a femur bone which is dated back to about 15,000 years ago, which has signs of healing. And this healed femur indicates that one human took the time to care for another human for long enough for that femur to heal. As I was doing some research for this episode, I remembered a conversation I had with a friend. And she told me that her sister-in-law is a practicing Jehovah's Witness. And by default, so is her sister-in-law's daughter, or my friend's four-year-old niece. My friend mentioned that as a part of the religious beliefs of a Jehovah's Witness, they do not accept blood transfusions. And so we went about discussing a hypothetical scenario in which my friend's sister-in-law refuses to allow a blood transfusion to save the life of this four-year-old child. And gosh, what would we do in this situation? What would we do knowing that my friend was both a healthcare professional and this child's aunt. Fortunately, this was only a hypothetical. Though what we did kind of end up at was as a healthcare professional, we must respect the rights of the mother. There was a family member who doesn't share the same religious belief. Would you stand idly by? Do you step in? What do you do? Particularly in a very sensitive case of a child. Do parents have the right to refuse life-saving treatments due to religious beliefs? Or should medical professionals have the final say? And having this memory got me to thinking about what are the other recognized religious beliefs in healthcare? And I started at jw.org, which is the official website for Jehovah's Witnesses. And it says that followers avoid taking blood, not only in obedience to God, but also out of respect for him as the giver of life. And so I dug a little bit more and I found a few other things. The Amish will not allow heart transplants and in some cases heart surgery because they view the heart as the soul of the body. Though children who have not yet been baptized are exempt from that restriction. And though the religion does not forbid its members from seeking medical attention, many Amish are reluctant to do so unless absolutely necessary. They believe that God is the ultimate healer. Vaishnavism, and I apologize for that pronunciation, the major branch of the Hindu faith considers the killing of animals, especially cows, to be sinful. 
Therefore, the religion doesn't condone the use of any drugs or implants, skin grafts or medical dressings that contain parts of pigs or bovines. Both Sunni and Shiite Muslims also do not approve of any drugs, medical dressings or implants that contain porcine ingredients. They do, however, allow for exemptions in the cases of emergencies and when there are no alternative drugs or materials available. We live in a wonderfully, wonderfully diverse world. And taking the time to listen and take into account a person's religious beliefs, faith and spirituality will improve the healthcare experience for the patient, for the professional and for our society as a whole. The Intelligent Rebellion Podcast is a Three Sticks production. It is produced, written, and hosted by me, Ria Mikado. Will is the emperor of sound, mixing, and editing, and is the talent behind all our original music. <laughs>